So Holy Spirit, ask that you would help us to apply that scripture to our lives, uh, know how we can get closer to you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome all of you here. Welcome those of you who are watching on the podcast. I also want to welcome the kids who are here. It's great to have you with us and be able to worship as families uh, together. So good to have you here. Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, Last year, my wife asked for a pair of kitchen tongs for Christmas. And yes, I know that's not very romantic, but that's what she wanted, okay? So she was thinking those big kitchen tongs, you know, that you use to pull corn on the cob out of boiling water, that sort of thing. Only I didn't quite understand what she actually wanted, so I got her these. (laughs) Sugar cube tongs. Not what she was expecting. She'd have to pick the kernels out one at a time with this thing. Well, what's worse, though, is I didn't know I'd bought the wrong thing until a couple of weeks ago when she told me. Worse even still, I found out for the whole last year she's been showing her friends these tiny little tongs. She says they double over laughing when they see it. She has been making fun of me for a whole year. It's like the saying, you know, behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. In a way, though, and stick with me on this metaphor, in a way, I think our experience of God can be a little bit similar. We expect him to show up in big ways, and sometimes he does, but sometimes he comes to us in smaller, quieter ways that we may not even notice at first. But just because we don't notice him doesn't mean that God isn't at work in that place. Let me ask a question. Do you ever feel like God is as elusive as the Seattle sun? I mean, you've been told he exists, right? But maybe you don't always experience him. Or maybe you have experienced him in the past, but you're not now because of maybe a health, a financial, a relationship issue. And you're wondering, where's God? Certainly, there's a lot of depressing stuff in the news that can make us wonder that. Or maybe it's someone in your life that you know and you're wondering where God is in their life. Or maybe, maybe it's the opposite. Things are going great for you. In fact, so great, you hardly think about God at all because you don't think you need him. This Advent, we've been looking at Christmas carols alongside of Scripture. And one of my favorite Christmas carols is O Little Town of Bethlehem. And the third verse has always caught my attention. It says, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming. That is, when God comes and starts to work, sometimes we don't even notice it. But in this world of sin, where meek folks will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean that God isn't at work. And that's certainly what you see at Christmas, right? When God came to us, he didn't come as a king. He didn't come as a conqueror. He didn't even come as an adult. He slipped into this world in the backwater village of Bethlehem as a baby. Not a big entrance. And yet, this is a turning point in history. This is God's D-Day invasion of planet Earth to beat back all the evil that the devil has done and reclaim his people for himself. It is a big deal. It is really good news. And yet, how silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. Wherever you are right now in your life, how do you know that God isn't at work powerfully? You just can't see it. That's what's going on in the story that we read about Jacob, one of the patriarchs of Israel. Now, the backstory to Jacob is that Jacob was a mama's boy, and he had a brother named Esau, 
And Esau was a few cans shy of a six-pack, okay? He, he, he sold his entire inheritance to Joseph, uh, Jacob for a bowl of red mush. Whole inheritance for a bowl of red mush. Not a good trade, okay? Esau realizes this, and he gets angry, and he decides to kill Jacob. So Jacob does what every mama's boy would do. He runs away. And on his first night out, he has a dream of a stairway to heaven, just like the Led Zeppelin song. When I was in high school, you'd always wait for that song to come on before you asked your favorite girl to dance because it was 12 minutes long. Well, very clever, right? So Jacob has this dream, and God is at the top of this stairway, and he says, Jacob, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a mess of kids. They're going to become the nation of Israel. And Jacob wakes up, and he says, Surely the Lord was in this place, but I was unaware of it. That is a verse that can change your life. Jacob is running for his life here. How can God be in that? Yet it's in the middle of that mess that Jacob affirms, surely the Lord is even in this place, but I was unaware of it. The, and that's good news because what it says is no matter where we're at, God shows up in at least three key places to do his work, whether we see it or not. And if we look for him in those three places, we can have hope because he's there. And the first place is this, God is at work even in the ordinary places. You know, we often expect God to show up in the dramatic. And sometimes he does. The miraculous cure, the amazing coincidences. But sometimes God shows up in just the ordinary stuff. The text we read says that when Jacob reached a certain place, he stopped for the night. A certain place. It's not a very special place. It doesn't even have a name. It's not a particularly holy place or a historical site. It's just an ordinary place. See, God is often talking to us in the ordinary things of life. The comment someone might say that's God's word to us that day or the way the Spirit nudges us to do certain things, but maybe we don't notice because we're too busy. In this story, God comes to Jacob in a dream. That's pretty ordinary. Easy to blow off, easy to dismiss. Oh, just a dream, right? Kind of a weird one at that. I remember when my kids were in preschool, I was at the Pike Place Market with them once, and we passed a homeless woman asking for some money. And as we passed her by, my daughter said, wouldn't Jesus want us to help her? That's the problem with pastor's kids. They repeat your sermons back at you. <laughs> Inappropriate, inconvenient moments. So I said, yes, he would. So we went and we bought some lunch, and I had my kids give it to this homeless woman. And as she thanked them, this woman reached out to pat my daughter's shoulder in a gesture of kindness. And you know what I did? I instinctively moved in closer. And the homeless woman said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, they're shy. I don't want them to be afraid. And the woman said, they're not afraid. You are. Oh, ouch, truth hurts, right? So she patted my daughter's shoulder and she said, thank you. And then she said, Jesus used you to help me today. And my daughter's face just lit up. And as we left, that led to a great conversation about, with my kids about Jesus and how he loves us and all kinds of things. Surely God was in that place. But I almost missed it. For one, because it was ordinary. Person asking for money at Pike Place Market, not exactly unusual. Right? But also because I had all my fears. Elizabeth Barrett Browning put it this way, Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. God is at work in the ordinary if we just pay attention. Second, God is at work in you, even if you can't see it. You know, Jacob's not exactly hero material. 
He's a mama's boy. His name means manipulator, deceiver. That's pretty much who he is. And yet God uses him to become the father of the nation of Israel. And what that says is that God is always at work in us, even if we don't notice it, and even if we're not even particularly cooperating. I had coffee with a mentor of mine this week, and he said that he more and more is realizing that God is always shaping and transforming us in ways we're not even aware of. He said it's like the passage in the Bible out of Romans where it says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What that verse means is that those times when nothing good seems to be happening in your life, when your life seems to be falling apart, when you don't even know what to pray, or maybe you try to pray, but your mind just keeps wandering, in those times, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and has a conversation with God the Father and with Jesus, this conversation within the Trinity about you, about me. And the Spirit says, Father, what are we going to do with Dudley? Look at him, he's a mess. Hey, what are we going to do with him? Because that's what the Spirit would say. And the Father says, look, here's how I am transforming him because I know the plans I have for him. I know what's up ahead and I'm getting him ready for those things. I find that hugely comforting. That even when we're not working on our transformation, the Holy Spirit is. We can rest in that. All those years I was at Stanford getting a PhD because I thought I was going to be a professor, right? The whole time, God was giving me experiences to help prepare me to be a pastor. I just didn't know it at the time, and it's a good thing because if I'd have known it, I probably would have had a panic attack. If back then God had said, hey, Dudley, you're going to be a pastor in Bellevue, I'd have said, oh, Lord, let this cup pass from me. No, may it never be, right? It's a good thing we don't always know what God is doing because here's the thing. As I told you last week, Bell Press. Next to my friends, family, Jesus, you are the best thing that ever happened to me. And I love you, and I am grateful to be here. You see, God knew what I wanted way deep down, even more than I knew what I wanted. And he was preparing me all those years, even if I couldn't see it at the time. Heard a story last week from a guy whose dad was an orthopedic surgeon, and this guy broke his toe in college, and it never healed right. So his dad would always say, you know, the only way to fix that is to re-break the toe and set it so it mends right. And he would always, the guy would always say, no, not worth it. It's fine. Well, years later, this guy tore his MCL and had to have his knee operated on, not by his dad, but in the same hospital. And when he woke up, his doctor asked him, how does your knee feel? And he said, fine, but why does my toe hurt so much? His dad had fixed his toe while he was out. God's like that. (laughs) Whether you're paying attention or not, he is always at work. And yes, sometimes that is very, very painful. Sometimes old things need to die in order for new things to be born. Sometimes God has to break something in us in order to mend us and set us right. But just because it hurts, just because it's painful, doesn't mean that God isn't there working for your best. Whether we can see it or not, God is at work in the ordinary places. He's at work in you and me. And finally, he's at work even in that place. And here's what I mean. In the story, when Jacob goes to sleep, he uses a rock for a pillow and he lies down on the ground. He is literally between a rock and a hard place. But God meets him even in that difficult place. King James' version of the passage refers to the place where Jacob slept as that place. Decent translation of the Hebrew. And you know if it's called that place, it can't be a good place. When my wife and I had our first child, we at the same time got a puppy. 
dumbest thing we ever did. The puppy, not the child. The dog chewed through the computer cords, the woodwork. One day she chewed through two plastic bottles of grape juice that we we're going to use for communion the next day. Okay, that has to be a sin, right? I mean, I wanted there to be a dog god that could wreak dog god vengeance on the beast. Now, the beast had a name, Toby, but more often than not, my wife would refer to her as that dog. And occasionally there was another word or two mixed in there for color. You get the point. And whenever she said that dog, it wasn't good. So that place can't be a good place. Is there a that place in your life? That place of failure, frustration, pain, that place of disappointed hopes or dashed dreams, that loneliness that won't quit, that career that isn't going the way you want it to. Is there a that place? Or maybe it's not even a dark place. Maybe it's just a place where you ignore God or wouldn't expect him to show up. One of our elders said this week that that place for him was at work because they were reassigning offices and he found himself worried all week about whether or not he was going to get the office with the bigger window. That's a that place. Or maybe it's that habit you keep going back to or keep justifying. Some addiction or yelling at your kids yet again or buying stuff just to get a thrill in life. That place where the cancer won't heal, the marriage won't mend, the kids won't mind. That place where God doesn't seem to talk no matter how much you ask, seek, or knock. That place, that's the place I'm talking about. Do you have a that place in your life? Because Christmas means Jesus comes even into that place. And that place has no power. That place cannot defeat you when that place comes up against the power of the risen Christ. Because surely the Lord is even in that place even if you can't see it at the time. God's being there does not depend on you feeling it. At Christmas, Jesus was born into poverty in an oppressed country under the boot of Rome. He didn't make it easy on himself. That is a that place. That's why I think there's one word in a little town of Bethlehem that is so important, yet. Yet in that dark street shineth, in that dark street shineth, the everlasting light. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus goes to the darkest places, not the easiest places, to bring his light. A friend of mine was in Uganda last year visiting her daughter who works as a nurse there. And when my friend went to bed on the first night, the power was out, so it was pitch black. She couldn't even see her hand in front of her face. To make it worse, her daughter told her that a few weeks earlier she'd killed a black mamba snake in the house. Black mamba being about the most poisonous snake there is. You die within minutes, and it isn't pretty. On top of that, my friend had to make sure not to to stay under the netting so that she wouldn't get bitten by malaria-carrying mosquitoes. And on top of all of that, she drank a bunch of water to avoid dehydration, and she really had to go to the bathroom. But the last thing that she wanted to do was get out of bed into the malaria, mosquito, black mamba-infested darkness. And she said, for the first time, I experienced what folks for centuries have experienced, still do in parts of the world. Darkness is a place where the dangers are more frightening, all because of the darkness. And then she said she saw a flicker of light at the end of her bed, didn't know what that light was. And then in her head, she heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world. And she said she understood in a new way just how good the good news of Christmas is. And she thought about the Bible verse, usually read at Christmas, that says that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Because once the light shines, you know what? The darkness disappears, which my friend eventually experienced once she found a flashlight. 
No matter how dark it may seem, the amazing news of Christmas is that yet, yet in that dark street shineth the everlasting light, whether you see it or not, whether you know it or not, he's there. We spent Thanksgiving with my parents, and as we were driving home, my wife said, did you notice how at your parents' house, and I said, I stopped her, I said, you know, if you have to start a sentence with me that begins with, did you notice, the answer is almost certainly going to be no. Because there's lots of stuff I don't notice. Doesn't mean it's not there. It's like that with God. Sometimes we don't notice that he's there, either because we're too busy, we're not looking for him, or sometimes it's just because when God begins to work in our lives, he often starts small. Even when he does a big thing like save the world, he sometimes starts small, like a baby in a manger, and then it grows. So as we go into Christmas, maybe ask God to show you where he is at work in the ordinary, in you, and in that place, so you can have hope. I've shared with you before that when my dad was growing up, his father abandoned the family, and they had no money for a while. They were even homeless. And to make ends meet, my dad and his five siblings all had to get jobs. And my dad got a job from a man in town feeding his horses. It wasn't much, but it was something. And this man took a real interest in my dad and in my dad's family, and he began to help them. Eventually, even bought a house that they could live in. Later still, he got even more interested in my dad's family, particularly in my grandmother, and he married her and became my dad's stepfather. Now, when my dad got that job feeding horses, it did not look like God had just stepped in to turn the tide. In fact, it looked the opposite. They were homeless. It looked like God had abandoned them completely, just like their father had. And yet that seemingly insignificant moment was the turning point where God entered into that place and began to transform it. They just couldn't see it at the time. Right after his dream, Jacob in this story takes the stone that he used as a pillow and he makes an altar out of it and offers his thanksgiving to God. And then he names that place Bethel, which means the house of God. And what that tells me is that that thing that is hard as stone in our life right now can eventually become the altar upon which we praise God. And that place that we are stuck in can become the house of God where we experience his love. You see, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. I am always there, even in that place. And that is ultimately what Jacob's dream is about. This stairway to heaven in his dream was just a foreshadowing of Christmas, foreshadowing of Jesus who comes to bridge the gap between us and God. Jesus is the stairway to heaven. Emmanuel, God with us. So what is that place for you? Because here's a promise that can change your life. Surely God is in that place too, even if you're not aware of it. God, thank you that your presence, your working in our lives is not dependent upon us feeling it. So Lord, whether we feel it tonight, today, or not, God, ask that you would help us see maybe just a glimpse of where you're at work in the ordinary, in us, in that place, maybe even in the good places where we tend to ignore you. Lord, help us to see you at work, and we'll be grateful. In your name, Jesus. Amen.